Welcome to another episode of Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret Podcast. I'm Teresa Melito-Connors, a PhD-level self-care expert in the greater Boston area with a passion for helping others find their spotlight and put their health and well-being on center stage. Today's episode is a conversation with my dear friend and mentor, Jane Harden. Jane is a former Simmons University professor of practice and current educational consultant for Rebus Associates. She is the co-author of two books on social-emotional learning, one that focuses on the classroom and a second that focuses on the home. Jane has a wealth of information and expertise in many areas such as education, social-emotional learning, trauma-informed pedagogy, and more. She is smart, sassy, honest, realistic, and operational. I love learning from her. You will hear the story of how we first met during the conversation, but I will tell you now, it was love at first leopard print. We became fast friends, and Jane often jokes that I am like a daughter to her, something I consider to be an incredible honor. We ventured around Philly together during that first conference when we met, and then again in St. Louis. And we have, of course, had many more local to Boston adventures, too. I am so excited to have Jane with us for this episode, as she has a lot to share, and I hope my listeners will find it helpful. Hi, Jane. Thanks so much for joining us here today on the Dr. MC Self-Care Cabaret Podcast. I'm so excited to hear from you, and I have lots of really interesting questions to ask. All right. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. As always, a pleasure to talk to you. Cool. Thanks. Uh, likewise. So question one, it's pretty basic. When I dive right in, I would like you to tell me about how you like to practice self-care. Well, um, lately, I don't know if you've been seeing my post on Facebook. <laughs> I've taken up roller skating with my I daughter. I have noticed that. That's quite ambitious. <laughs> um, so a lot of my friends are saying, are you crazy? You're too old. And of course, the minute someone says that to me, that's like a challenge. So I love to, I've enjoying doing it. My daughter's having uh, fun teaching me. I will never attain to do some of the things she does. I'm just happy to not kill myself. So that's one thing. Um, my, one of my other kids is teaching me how to play chess. And I like to do that to keep my mind engaged and challenged. Mm. Uh, I like to walk a lot and be with friends, have a couple of glasses of wine. Um, I'm a very social person. So I was thrilled to get my vaccination and to get out and be with friends and give a lot of hugs. And that's sort of my self-care routine. Absolutely. And I have to say, I'm quite impressed by the roller skating. You're, you're braver than I am. Um, that's not necessarily something I'm interested in. And you look great, though. I, I have seen the pictures, and I think there was even a video <laughs> clip. Uh, well, she gave me, you know, we both love leopard. So I am the proud owner of leopard roller skates with leopard pads for my elbows knees and wrist and I wear a helmet so I'm protected pretty well and um it's just it's fun you know I really enjoyed it and I think the key to self-care is to have a sense of humor too like you have to be able to laugh at yourself and I can do that I have no problem laughing at myself being silly and I think that's important and it's probably helped me a lot get through the last few years so sure and I even think too you make a, a very 
valid, important point to highlight. You know, your friends may be saying, oh, you're too old, you're too this. And sometimes we do kind of put up those barriers for ourselves. And so I really commend you for doing that. And, um, you know, that's great movement, great exercise, just nothing, all good things. Yeah, it feels good. And I do think that it's really important when you get to be a woman of my vintage, it's important to keep a young attitude. And I think one of the things I strive to do is try not to say, oh, I'm too old to fill in the blank. So I still ski, though I'll never do a black diamond. But you know, guess what? I never did a black diamond when I was in my 30s. Um, <laughs> I like to um, keep myself engaged and challenged. And I think and also, I, another to me, another form of self-care is to do something for other people. Like, um, I'm in the Lions Club in my town, and I am very involved with that. I also just came from a school committee thing. I'm, I'm on a school committee member for Tri-County Regional uh, Vocational High School. These are things to me that, yes, I get very busy sometimes, and that kind of goes the antithesis of self-care, but honestly... That engagement to me keeps me uh, feeling engaged and vital. And I think that's all part of self-care. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, when we do things for others or we can see a larger purpose for ourselves and our work and that we can see that what we do benefits other people, that falls under the spiritual domain of, of self-care, which folks have heard me talk about all the different domains of self-care, but that's really important. And in addition, what you're describing, Jane, is, you know, the relationship domain. So having those, cultivating those relationships of supportive people and being feeling respected and and all of that really is is two very important aspects of self-care absolutely and you know like yesterday i had i was in the amherst all day yesterday visiting two different friends and i was saying to another friend who i walked with earlier today that i'm very fortunate that i have a lot of great friendships and i feel very lucky about that but their each friend has something like a little bit different and unique from the other. And that is also very enriching and another form of self-care. I love people that can be silly and fun with me, but I love my friends who are really deep thinkers and challenge me in other areas. And um, I just, you know, to me, this is all part of my mental health, if you will. Absolutely. I love that. So you've already mentioned several things that you are kind of engaged in. And so I'm wondering, how do you find time to kind of fit everything in? Well, I'm not going to win any award for a house beautiful. Um, however, <laughs> I can make these two worlds work very well because, see, I intentionally have little dinner parties or people over for lunch, which then gets me to clean like a mad woman. And that way, I am, we're not going to be, you know, condemned by the Board of Health, but I keep an active social life. Does that work? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, no, that's good prioritizing. <laughs> you know? So as long as you, I have a few minutes notice, you would love my house. If you come in off on a day that I don't know you're coming, well, God help you and you deserve what you see. <laughs> Fair enough. It reminds me of that viral video where the woman's like screaming because, um, the house is a mess and there's company and she's just like running around like frantically <laughs> cleaning everything. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, one of my friends who, who uh, had a great line, she goes, oh my God, your house looks like who did it and ran. So I didn't miss a beat. I said, listen, if somebody tries to rob me, they won't stay because they figure it's already been ransacked. Oh, God. 
<laughs> there you go. So you, you're actually, it's it's a security precaution. No. There you go. That's, I don't have a dog. So I do something else, you know? Oh, my goodness. Too funny. Um, So I know you have a very um, strong background in social-emotional learning, and I believe you've co-authored two books um, on that topic. So I'm wondering, this is really important, and and it does relate to self-care, social-emotional learning, but that's really an education term that we use in the educational arena and not so much outside, and I certainly have listeners from... Um, outside of the education world. So can you tell us, you know, a little bit about social emotional learning and why it is important? Well, you know, I really think we use this term and and it's fairly recently used, but we've been, educators are really tuned into this forever. And it's really looking at the emotional, well, holistically looking at a a student, be it a little kid up to graduate student, looking at the entire person and, and, and realizing that you cannot engage the intellectual aspect of the brain if you have not attended to the emotional well-being of the individual. So, you know, we would say um, Maslow before, um, you know, who's the guy that with all the the um, different strategies of um, emotional, oh, it'll come to me. But but I think it, you know you've got to attend to the person's well-being. If a kid is going through tremendous stress or in trauma, one of the things we were going to talk about today, their ability to learn is going to be negatively impacted. Because if you're raising adrenaline in the body or cortisol because of stress, well, it kind of shuts down the ability of the brain to absorb new information. So it is important. And we we have uh, one of the things that I've noticed because I was I've been teaching for a long time. And I talked to teachers as part of my professional life. I spend a lot of time doing professional development these days. They're telling me more and more students are coming to school from very young children up through uh, grade 12 and beyond with high levels of anxiety. Hmm. And so if you have now, now that's prior to the pandemic and remote learning and all this other stuff. So right. now we have this additional situation foisted upon us and you have kids that already have some mental health issues and anxiety and if you just push down that okay now we're going to come back and do MCAS or now we're going to come back and you know get you ready for this test it's not going to be as successful if you don't attend to the emotional well-being of the child making them feel safe supported and then they're more likely to it's like I, I want to use the analogy of when you're really cold, you know, we all can relate to that in New England, uh, really cold, you kind of take your arms and you wrap them around you and you feel like you're, you know, you're going to try to keep any of that body heat in. But when the weather softens and warms up, you start to like breathe easier and your limbs don't have to be tight to your body. And I look at uh, social emotional learning much the same way. It's, it's, uh, it's allowing that child to feel comfortable, to feel safe, and then their ability to learn is going to be much increased and, and more profitable all around. Yeah, no, 100%. And I really like, so tell me that analogy again, with the kind of wrapping your arms when you're cold. Well, you know, I'm just thinking like, you know, when you, I mean, we could even say compare it to like air conditioning. You know, you go into a room and it's super air conditioned and you forgot like a light sweater or jacket and you're like, oh my God, I'm freezing. And you put your arms around your upper arm and you're kind of holding your body tight and rigid because you're so cold. 
but when the weather or the temperatures adjusted, you can relax. You, you don't have to be tightly holding onto your body. You feel more at ease and more comfortable. And that same thing happens in a classroom. You know, when you have a kid that's really freaked out or very anxious, their ability to sit and attend is going to be inhibited because of that. And it's going to get in the way of learning. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say when I was teaching a lot of my grad students, I'd say, if somebody comes up to you and they're on you and on you and on you while you're trying to do a skill, you are more likely to make a mistake because you're so nervous. And so the minute we kind of give kids some space and have them, you know, almost like that, that whole, you know, a growth mindset thing that's when we see real progress. Another thing that I've noticed and teachers have pointed out to me, and this is a real concern and it talks, it really ties in so well to your whole idea of self-care. For some reason in the last few years, people, are, kids especially, they're afraid to make a mistake. It's mm. like for some reason, making a mistake became this huge deal. And yet, as I point out to people, do you know, without mistakes being made, most inventions, most ex, uh, advances in science would never have happened. You know, um, someone told me that um, Play-Doh, believe it or not, started out as a wall cleaner. Well, oh someone, like, somebody <laughs> fools around with that and said, oh my God, this is kind of fun to play with. And th there's a lot of things like that, that it's the art of the discovery. I remember Will Smith, I saw a great uh, video he's, he made it's a short clip. He goes, oh, failure. Fail often, but fail forward. And that really stuck with me. And then the other one that stuck with me was the woman that invented Spanx, um, Susan Barkley or something like that. And she said, and I love this, she said, at night at her dinner table, her father would frequently go around the table and say, okay, what great mistake did you make today? And who'd like to talk about it? She said, it took the sting out of making a mistake. And she said, we were more willing to take risks and opportunities because he took away some of the fear of making a mistake. And that is so powerful. Think about it, you know? No, I love that. I think we're gonna, um, I think we may title this episode, um, Great Mistakes. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really, though, it's it's true. And, and I even think about myself, like as you were talking, as like certain times, like, I know, you know, if Jeff's like standing over my shoulder, my husband or like something's like, oh, I can't do this right now. Like I need to like I can't if somebody's watching me like you can't you yeah. feel like you're going to mess something up like typing or like something silly that like obviously I can do. But yes. um, but when you have that kind of that that outside pressure that sometimes then it just makes you feel like you're going to you're going to make a mistake. And I love the idea with, you know, the growth mindset and fantastic failures. I, I do a whole section when I present on growth mindset about all the things that were invented by accident. And there's some by pretty, um, pretty compelling yes. ones. Um, Post-it notes. Think, listen, think of just even a recipe, like the, the, the fabulous muffins you make that I, that I took your recipe and I love it. When you're, when you were making those, you probably have experimented to get the right the, the right consistency. You added maybe one time a lemon peel, one time an orange peel. In other words, this it's not a mistake. It's it's sort of like exploration, right? And you get rewarded for that. And I think we have to take away or help kids get over this fear because what happens is they become uh, well, well. This is I'll tie this in too with 
with so many kids having to be on Zoom. So um, I was talking to some teachers about working, especially with adolescents. And they said they, in the morning, especially the people that had classes in the early morning, a lot of the kids did not put their cameras on because they didn't want people to look at them when they rolled out of bed. Mm. And also people became much more self-conscious about perhaps making an error on camera. And so, you know, how could a teacher maybe help soften that fear? And so there were ways that they did that. And it was really interesting to talk to them about it. I think it's crippling for adults too. Like we get so wrapped up in this idea of perfection that yeah. we're not even willing to try. Like if you felt that way, you probably wouldn't have bothered trying roller skating. Cause you're like, well, I'm not going to be able to do that. Like, why would I even try? Listen, you know, there's a lot of things I've done in my life. One of the funniest things about the failure thing. So uh, many years ago when I had young kids and I was just trying to find a, a little part-time job before I went back to work full-time, I became a party accommodator. Now, I don't know why I thought I had the nerve to do this, but I did. And I went to this one house and the woman said, um, Jane, I'd like you to make asparagus roll-ups. I had no idea what those were and I didn't want to look like a fool. So I learned a great lesson. And this is what I said to the woman without batting an eye. Well, you know, I know how I like to make them, but I prefer to make them the way the host likes to make them. So how do you like them made? <laughs> And That's she awesome. Told me and I was, she never found out my, my little secret that I had no idea what the heck those were. Oh my God. And did you make them well? I bet you did. I did. Well, I think I, I looked a little like, uh, for those people that are listening who might remember Lucille Ball in the chocolate factory, there were a couple of failures that I ended up throwing in the garbage, but eventually I got the hang of it. Yeah. Oh my God. I love Lucy. That is one of my favorite shows. Actually, Jeff and I have been rewatching that. He bought me for Christmas the entire series on DVD. So we've been working our way through it, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, they're oh. making a new movie about it with Nicole Kidman. It's going to be Lucy, which I find hard to believe. But yeah, that's the deal. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I knew that. I don't know if I knew Nicole Kidman was going to be. Yeah, gonna be Lucy. I know. Well, that's fun. Well, maybe it'll be cool. So that's great. Um, so I'm wondering, too, you know, you mentioned COVID and you mentioned, you know, moving forward kind of into our you know, I hate this term, but our new normal as we manage mm -hmm. this. So what is, what do you think is like one piece of advice you would give people or parents or teachers for navigating all of this moving forward? Well, I will say the biggest mistake we can make for all of us is to assume that, uh, you know, we're almost done with this school year, but to assume in September, everybody's going to be fine they'll have had the summer, we'll all go back to normal. I, I think that would be a big mistake to jump to that conclusion. Now, you know, a lot of us have heard this line, but it really makes sense. You know, you heard, we've heard this over and over again. Oh, we're all in this together. Well, yes and no. As I like to say, some people survived this by being in a yacht and then they went to their private beach. And yeah, those people did pretty good. Other people, were in a rowboat without a motor and they hung in there. And then some people were on a raft that was leaking. But we were all in this together, right? But no, we really were not. You know, some kids had all the all access to technology. They had their own room. And other kids are just trying to like gasp for air to get through this year. And then you know, let's and that's for kids that may have intact learning ability. Now up the ante with a kid with a learning disability, 
or or a less re access to resources, material resources. This is the the leaky boat or the raft. And so we can't just assume. This is where the trauma thing comes in. We can't just assume everybody's going to go back to school in the fall and be right where they should be. There's going to be some kids that will be absolutely fine. There's going to be some kids who are going to still be dealing with a lot of anxiety about what they've experienced the last year and a half or anger or feelings of inadequacy because they may feel like, oh my God, I'm so far behind and all those things. So I think it's, if I could give a global piece of advice to people, I'd say, when you go back in the fall, take some time at the beginning of the year to give everybody a chance. Don't jump right into heavy duty academics. Mm. Give people some time to have discussions, to talk about things that they experienced and then start working on the academics. But I would, you know, if it were up to me and I was the you know, king of the world or the queen of the world, I'd say the first two weeks of school next fall should be all about social emotional and then getting kids ready to almost like priming them to be ready to learn again, because they're not going to necessarily come back ready to go academically. They're just not. No, not at all. And I 100% agree with you on that. And I think we need to do the same also for adults because Absolutely. people are coming, you know, there's still a lot of fear around going back to work, a lot of uncertainty. I mean, myself, like I'm feeling it personally, and we need to be kind and yep. practice grace and love as we move forward and, you know, make sure that everybody's okay because people are coming back and going to be moving forward from all different places. Oh, my goodness. You know, so I did this um, this course I created about the impact of trauma um, during COVID and now going forward. And I interviewed some people and they were telling me these stories. So I just read one today and it blew me away. This mother, she was the mother of six kids. And she was talking about, here she is, she's a teacher. Uh, and, you know, I think she ran a home, uh, home like a pre, uh, before school and an after school program. Okay. But she herself is the parent of six kids. And she was talking about trying to navigate that as well as try to keep the daycare and after school programs available to parents. And then seeing her own, like she had a, uh, her uh, student of hers, a child in college, and how the whole year got disrupted. And, you know, so you feel for your kids and then you have to try to have carry on. And she's, and you know, I had put an article in there about sometimes the kids are not all right and it's okay. And I think that's another aspect I'd emphasize is that there will be times that we, you know, stiff upper lip and all that, you know, as the British would say, but what kids have been through and teachers and families in general has been an incredibly difficult time and it's going to take a while to decompress from this experience. The summer will definitely help, but it's going to take some time. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, the ramifications from COVID will be felt in many different um, industries and whatnot, but in education, particularly for, for years to come. Yeah, I think we'll be, you know, here, here's your postdoctoral study. Oh <laughs> <But> boy. Seriously, <laughs> I, I am serious. This is going to be studied for a while because we are we are literally right now building the plane as we fly it. Absolutely. But we're going to have an opportunity over the next few years to maybe really look at what have been some of the gains because there have been some gains. It hasn't all been negative. Somebody else wrote to me today 
that their kid that hated math actually made a really good connection with their math teacher and actually now has has excelled in math. Okay. That's um, awesome. So it's not it's not across the board bad for everybody. There's definitely been some gains, but there's an awful lot of other things that have been really lost and it's been very hard for some kids and teachers and families. Yeah, for sure. So you've mentioned trauma a couple of times, and I know mm-hmm. that this is an area of expertise that you have in addition to social emotional learning, although I know that they are related. So I'm wondering, you know, tips for building resilience or just kind of more about your background in that and anything you want to offer? Well, you know, I, I became very interested in trauma because I feel like, um, and this is before we had um, the pandemic, but trauma definitely impacts kids. And um, there's a, you know, actually I, I had some pictures to show you, but it might be a little tricky to share screen share, but th- they have done studies and they actually know that the brains of traumatized children look different than typical children. They actually have a different brain chemistry. Yep. We can share that. um, I think I know the images you're speaking of, or if you want to send them to me later, we can share them with our listeners in the episode notes. Yes, I will. And then the other thing people need to be aware of is the ACE thing. And the ACE, um, what ACE is, the Adverse Child Experience Pyramid. And that to me is really uh, something that people should be aware of. And I'll share that with you as well. And, you know, in other words, there's a lot of things that people can experience over the course of their life that can contribute to trauma. So it could be that, you know, we talk about resiliency in children. And uh, one of my favorite people in the world is this man, Dr. Robert Brooks. And he's done a lot of research on his whole area is really about resiliency. And one of the things he always said is all it takes is really one in a life of a child, if they have one charismatic adult that really cares for them, that can make all the difference. And I, I do believe that. But I also know that trauma can build up in the system where a kid can be exposed to a traumatic situation as a young child and seem to be fine. But some of the research has shown that over time that they may, as adults, develop other more health problems because of that early trauma. Even mm. though they seem fine on the outside they they have you know they have experienced this building up over time so there's an um this this dr gabor mate and he has come out just recently in fact i i was so interested i've been sort of watching him with a a whole new series called the wisdom of trauma and so i'm kind of mesmerized by his work and i have been for years but this, he, he, this whole new thing, it, it's really powerful. So he said that, you know, one of the things trauma does, it disconnects you from yourself. So, you know, here you're looking at your area of expertise is self-care. Trauma can actually disconnect you from yourself. So Absolutely. This is, where, this is where people can get into addictive behavior or negative behaviors, health behaviors, because it's sort of, they disconnect from their how they're really feeling about things. It's easier to go to, to the substance abuse or whatever, rather than deal with the pain that I'm dealing with the, the trauma. And um, so another thing that he talked about, this was, these are some quotes that, that just came from him. Um, he said that we need to, um, instead of the blame game of saying, what's wrong with you? He said the right, the really the better question to ask is what happened to you? Now that, when you think about that, that's, um, that really changes perspective 100%. 
you know, it's not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you? And then he also talked about how um, when people are in tr uh, have survived trauma, they sometimes create situations of risk, um, not because they are hurt, but because they're alone with their hurt. So in other words, hurt is part of life. You know, uh, much as I would love to say I have three adult children, I would love to protect them from any hurt in their life. Well, that's not possible, right? But when, when they're hurt as a young child with some of the things that some kids have to deal with and no one's there to kind of console them, that's when the trauma can be more, much more damaging. So it's not the hurt itself. It's the hurt and no one is there to help them work it through. And that's another perspective I thought was, um, and he said, not that just you are overwhelmed, but there is no one there to hold you. And I mean, that's just, if you think about that, that's pretty powerful, you know? Oh, and it's, it's heartbreaking really to think about. And I think that people don't really understand, you know, we think trauma, it must be, you know, years of abuse. And, and of course it can be like, that can definitely be traumatic, but yes. there can be a lot of um, surprising common experiences that can actually result in, um, traumatic effects on the body and how the body develops yeah. not only the brain development but the hormone levels and how our survival system works how our fight or flight versus um you know our freeze and submit and our rest and digest response and how the hormone levels can get all sorts of um out of balance and Absolutely. we can begin to the body will actually override um, you know, the thinking part of the brain and you kind of get stuck in survival mode. And I think that's where we start to see you know, issues in, in early, uh, later in life too, with certain things and that kind of those early imbalances really yeah, setting the yeah. stage for, for issues. And the relationships are so important when we start talking about, you know, trauma and how we help children and adults mm -hmm. to work through that. Well, sometimes you don't even know. I mean, I, I often think about, you know, like, for example, that it's very distressing to me as it is to many people, most people, I would hope, um, how many school shootings we've had, right? Mm. And, and you know, you think about what must it be like for a kid that was at Sandy Hook School, all right, or, or the high school down in Florida. One of my best friends from childhood was the parent of two boys that were in, at Columbine High School back in April of 1999 when they had the Columbine shooting. Oh, now, God. her boys were fine physically, but I know for the rest of their lives, they have a level of trauma that I hope I never will experience because they were there in real time. And, and that's what I'm talking about. That exposure, it's not, it doesn't even have to be to you directly, but you were in a period of time with, with great um, difficulty uh, and, and a horrific experience or, or a kid that is, is you know, a refugee or in a war-torn situation or in a home that's this utter chaotic. You know, these are things that um, in this Gabor Mate had in a video and it really, I, it was, you know, I can only watch it in small bites because it's pretty um, overwhelming. But there was one scene where a therapist went to a prison and she started asking um, the, the, um, the incarcerated people, uh, any of you, you know, she had them all out in the in like the courtyard and she had them in a circle. And she said, any of you who grew up in a home where you um, were hit, 
step forward. Everybody step forward. Mm. Anyone that grew up or at home where they were, there was frequently not someone there to take care of them. Step forward. They step forward. So it was all these things. So that, that goes back to the thing. Instead of saying, looking at these prisoners and saying, well, what's wrong with you? You go back and say, what happened to you? You know, what happened to you? And, and I'm, I'm looking at the statistic. It says the National Center for PTSD, and this was, I think this was a couple of years old, states that 15 to 43% of girls and 14 to 43% of boys in the United States experience a traumatic event. That's crazy. And the, and the um, impact, the effects of trauma can damage the brain, resulting in problems in learning and paying attention. And you know this from your research, when under stress, the sympathetic nervous system activates the fight or flight, cortisol is released, and excess cortisol can remain in the body. Large amounts have negative effect on the brain and damaging the CA3 neurons in the hippocampus. So these are things, that, you know, they know this. This is what we know about trauma right now. Oh, I mean, it's fascinating research. It, it is certainly difficult to kind of comprehend some of it. And the thing, mm -hmm. too, about trauma, you know, you don't get to actually define what's going to be traumatic for someone else. And two people could experience the exact same situation and right. have very different outcomes. I had someone say to me one time that they didn't think divorce should be considered a traumatic event. I was like, mm, depending upon yeah. the circumstances, I think that can absolutely be a traumatic event. Absolutely. And, you know, in some cases, it, where the parents chose to stay together can cause more trauma if this constant you know, disruption and anger and fighting in the house. I mean, you know, that's also a form of exposure to regular trauma. So you're absolutely right. It, it's, and, and you can have two siblings in the same family and one will be impacted by one aspect and one might not, might appear to be fine. But, you know, again, some of the newer research says those kids that seem to be totally fine may not be totally fine down the road. It's, it's, again, it's a, it can be cumulative, you know? Um, they, I mean, this is one of the things they're studying now, fortunately, with, with uh, veterans. Um, you know, they, you have a Vietnam veteran who comes home and doesn't want to talk about it, but seems okay. And then 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, something happens and they fall apart. Yeah. In fact, someone just told me this, it was really kind of intense. Um, they were a, um, an, a Vietnam veteran and they seemed fine. And when, when the United States in, uh, invaded Iraq or something, um, they had a major PTSD um, experience and they took their own life. Oh, goodness. Now, you know what I'm saying? And this, we have to treat this as a, I, I, more and more, I try to talk to people about the fact that mental health is just as every bit important as physical health, and they're so connected. We can't choose one over the other. They are totally connected. Well, and I think our society sometimes promotes us being disconnected from our mental health, from our, our physical body. We don't necessarily celebrate the mind-body connection and the no. listening to your body and, and being connected with that. And I think about that, you know, in my healing journey from in recovery for an eating disorder and mm -hmm. you know in that with all that societal messaging and what I thought I had to do and what seemed appropriate at the time um that was 
very disconnected from my body. I was not listening. I was not honoring my body and my fullness cues and my hunger cues and how I was feeding myself and certainly not doing it from a place of love and restricting and just ultimately disconnecting from my body. And I think a lot of practices that we just kind of do because it's what we do as humans in this current society that we are disconnected and that we don't treat mental health nearly as important as we should and as physical health. Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we have shows that highlight like, you know, the housewives of Beverly Hills or some crap like that. And um, I hope nobody watches that and that I'm offending anybody, but you know, (laughs) where it takes people um, and, and highlights all this, this artificial life. And if a kid's developing like a young adolescent and they think that's what they're supposed to be aiming for, what a bad message that is. But if somebody else is not helping guide them into real things, I, I look at it as like a, a constant diet of junk food is not gonna ever, once in a while, it's okay to have junk food. I certainly enjoy my share, probably too much. But the point is you can't live on that just like you cannot have too much negativity around you, or it's just going to be too hard to overcome, you know? And I think that's what we have to think about with trauma. We're just, I think as a society, we're getting a better understanding of it, but now we have to realize how important it is impacting children and the learning process. Yeah. And how widespread of an issue it is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Even another thing I found out said trauma can undermine the development of language and communication skills, thwart the establishment of a coherent sense of self, compromise the ability to attend to classroom tasks and instructions. And this is from uh, traumasensitiveschools.org. And, you know, it, it just like I said, this now, people are doing a lot more research on this impact of trauma. And I think, you know, again, trauma is different from one person to another, but we are going to see kids that have come through this last couple of years with some other unique uh, uh, forms of trauma, if you will. Yeah, I think you're correct in that. And, you know, the good, there is good news, though. I mean, we can help to build resilience skills. And when you practice self-care, you're essentially working on your resilience. The known components for building resilience actually coincide quite nicely with the various domains of self-care. So by nature of taking care of yourself and promoting that for others, you're actually helping them build their resilience. And research does show that we can increase our resilience. It's not considered something that, you know, only a few people possess or personality trait or anything like that. We can actually with, you know, intention and um, work, we can increase our resilience. Absolutely. And, you know, I also think um, I'm a big advocate of, of animals. And I know that, um, you know, it doesn't work in every situation, but having a lot of schools now have brought in therapy dogs to help kids, you know, who have maybe some anxiety stuff going on during the day. And it's a pretty powerful thing. So one of my Uh, teachers who I interviewed was working with kids with emotional, um, these are kids, uh, her classroom was made up basically of kids with emotional challenges. And she would in her Zoom sessions include her dog. And she said it made a huge difference. The kids, you know, let's go back to that social emotional thing. 
the kids was like were able to view her in sort of a different light and say, wow, you know, they, she's sort of like a real person. She's got a dog. And they, she found the other thing is it benefited them academically because they were more engaged when she had the dog in the frame. Fascinating. I yeah, love it. It was really cool. A lot of public really high cool. schools um, have dogs now and as well as, you know, private therapeutic um, special education schools have therapy animals also. It, it's quite phenomenal to watch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and certainly have, beneficial. You know, so- I think that, um, you know, I, I also think, let's go back to the, the like, if I'm an administrator in a building, um, I think it's important for you to also take into consideration the, um, the emotional well-being of your faculty and staff, because oh. they too, like, <laughs> like I found it very clear in, in, in the writings of some of the students that were taking my class, they're dealing with their own challenges. And Having, um, I remember interviewing a, um, a teacher and she was saying to me, what, what really helped is if an administrator was seen within the building, sort of just checking in, not, not like I'm, I'm hawking you and following you to see if you're doing everything right, but just like to go and have a nice conversation, like say, hey, Mary, how are you doing? You know, what's going on? And that was a huge help because they felt valued and they felt that that person took an interest in them as, a, as not only a teacher, but as a person. And I think that's something that we definitely have to stress as we're training people who are going to be administrators in schools. Absolutely. Um, I know someone pretty close to me who wrote their dissertation on that. Oh, wait, it was me. <laughs> that was essentially <laughs> the, um, the topic. I mean, self-care for renewal self-care and renewal for leaders and teachers, but not just practicing it, but promoting it. And what is really the role of the leader in a school? And like, where are the lines? Like how much do they promote? Can they promote? Should they promote? And there was really, I mean, I thought it was fascinating the research and and what I found out and throughout the, the study process. But I mean, it was clear that it's a good idea to do that and to have the well-being of your staff kind of at the forefront. And certainly I did, you know, the dissertation successfully defended it just before COVID um, in August of 2019. But it was um, such a timely topic. I didn't know where the world was headed, of course. Oh, um, my God. I told you. This is your postdoc. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You could absolutely do, you know, you could do any, uh, an additional appendix just on what things have, what you, you know, what you learned initially, and then how you've seen it come into reality with the time we've been living through, you know? Um, so there, there was, um, uh, Massachusetts has an advocate for children called uh, the Trauma and Learning Policy Initiative. Yep. And that's in, in collaboration with the Harvard Law School and the Task Force on Children Affected by Domestic Violence. And so one of the things they talk about is when you regulate emotions that will enable the child to master social and academic skills, maintain high academic standards, creating, it helps uh, the importance of creating a safe classroom environment, um, managing behavior, um, setting limits and helping children make choices. But the other thing that I think, and I didn't even in my initial creation of this course, that we have to really pay attention to now is the whole idea about being sensitive to 
racial issues as well. Because here's a kid who saw all this stuff about George Floyd and all these other people, and you gotta you gotta believe that's a they have that's collective trauma 100%. that people of color have had to witness and probably in many cases personally experience. And again, if I am a white teacher or a white administrator, I better do some deep dive work myself to help make those kids feel safe and supported. Yeah, absolutely. And I've also, there's a new emerging field in this um, arena of trauma. I don't know, Jane, if you're familiar with this, but the transgenerational transmission of trauma. Yes. And yes. I, I have not dived, dove too far into that. Um, a book was recommended to me called um, In My Grandmother's Hands. And I mm -hmm. haven't read it yet. It's sitting on my bookshelf, but hope, maybe this summer. But it's, uh, I'm fascinated by the concept. Well, when I, I had this talk today with someone because I was thinking about getting ready for chatting with you. And she was saying that a lot of, um, you know, the people that are still here that are Holocaust survivors did not talk too much about what they lived through, but their children who are now older adults and their grandchildren are coming forward because even though they maybe the parent who might've been a young child going through the Holocaust, some of that transmission of what they experienced worked its way down into the family dynamics. So you're absolutely right about that. This is going to be another whole area of study. Yeah, and I think that's going to be really um, important work in that area. And I'm wondering, absolutely. you mentioned the, the show, The Wisdom of Trauma. Is I feel yes. like I heard about, is this on Netflix or how do you watch this? Well, right now, he they, they um, you could, for a donation, you could watch it for like a week and then if you wanted to be to get all access so you know jane she has to do all access so if you go um if you go on facebook um I, and there's probably other ways but facebook specifically and you you google uh gabor mate um you can and i will send you the spelling of all that stuff so you can share that out but you can look up his work but he's they're actually posting right now at least on my feed because they know i'm sort of into this stuff uh, some of the, the clips from this documentary, The Wisdom of Trauma. Excellent. Yeah, I think maybe I started seeing ads for it, too. I'm not sure where, yeah. I, where I saw it, but it's, it's sounding very familiar. And if right. folks are definitely looking for, um, you know, one book in particular that comes to mind would be Bessel van der Kolk, Dr. van der Kolk's uh, Body Keeps the Score, which is, right. um, as I usually say, not a light beach read but no. a really um, powerful book about trauma. Well, I think, you know, everyone, like you said, everyone has had different experiences in their life that can haunt them for one way, you know, whether we want to call it trauma or not. Um, but I think it's really important um, to get some insight into this because I think it helps you as an adult manage some of your emotions, uh, but it also then helps you perhaps be more um, tolerant and patient with other people. I, I mean, it's funny, years ago, I remember there was this person in my town and every time this person opened their voice, their mouth to talk, there was something about their voice that just bugged me. <laughs> and, um, and it bothered me that I felt that way, but I couldn't help it. I was getting this reaction. And one day I got into a deeper conversation and found out this person had a very traumatic early life, like really tough. And all of a sudden, I realized that that voice uh, did not bother me anymore because I had grown 
more compassionate and understanding. And I've often thought about, you know, with all the uh, disharmony we're experiencing right now in our current culture, a lot of it is because we don't take the time to really, I'm going to go back to that saying, what happened to you? You know, what happens to people that, that are so angry that they'll take a gun to work and kill people? What happened to that person that they would beat their child, um, you know, to death or seriously? And what caused that behavior? I, I don't believe someone gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to beat the crap out of my kid. Something happened that built up that, that, um, that anger and hostility, but it, it, it came from something. It didn't come in a vacuum. Right. Thanks for sharing all of that expertise. I'm wondering the two books that you have Mm co-authored, if you'd like to share any details about that and maybe where folks could purchase those if they were interested in learning more. Sure. And and again, I'll send you the, the titles. One is called social emotional learning in the classroom. And the other one is social emotional learning at home. I co-authored them with uh, Bill Rebus and um, he's the founder and, um, and Dr. Deb Brady and, and um, Elaine Gumsha, uh, Gumla is also the person for the social emotional in the home. So I'll send you the covers and the titles. You can order them online. Uh, Castle is a, they carry and recommend our books as well. And um, they are good resources. But we also do, you know, I, again, I, in the spirit of transparency, I'm a consultant for Rebus Associates and Publication. And we do a lot of professional development online. And um, it's, uh, it's been my pl- pleasure and privilege to work with a lot of schools and uh, throughout the state and some actually out of the country. So I know it's, a, it's important work for sure. And that course you talked about that you put together or are in process mm-hmm. of putting together, is that something that's available through Rebus as well? Yes. Uh, one, uh, I created a couple. Uh, one is called The Impact of Trauma during COVID. And then we've updated a bit. And then I worked with another colleague. Uh, these are two really relatively new ones uh, on um, unconscious, in, implicit and unconscious bias. So it addresses not only things around race, but gender, religion, uh, special needs. You know, uh, I've been in the field long enough to know that you know, kids in, with, that were have special needs for years have been relegated to the corner of the classroom or down to the basement. And yeah. many times it's because someone didn't give them an opportunity. And um, I'll tell you somebody you would love to have on your show sometime probably is uh, the woman, the young woman, she was uh, born with Down syndrome and she's created her own cookie company, Coletti's Cookies. Oh, I'm familiar with that. That would be yes. a great suggestion. Maybe we can reach out. She is fantastic. I actually uh, met her at a conference and because I was so impressed with her, I ended up buying a number of boxes and sent them out as gifts. But A, the cookies are delicious, which is absolutely important but what a great story of resiliency you know she's fabulous excellent well thank you so much for sharing that that was a lot of information i feel like we could have like three more episodes we could talk about um the implicit (laughs) bias and unconscious bias as another topic area that um i do study and try to help um with presentations in because it's it's important that we recognize that and own it and do better absolutely you know, I, I really, I, I would like to say one thing about my, the pleasure I have working and knowing you. Um, we got to know each other a few years ago because you were taking over a position. And I believe 
um, your colleague said to meet Jane Harden at the conference in Philadelphia. Is that correct? Something along those lines, yes. Yes. <laughs> and so we, we agreed to meet and we met in the exhibit hall and you said, I'll be wearing a leopard scarf. Well, I knew, even though you're like the age of my daughter, I knew we would be friends because we both love leopard and I immediately loved your personality. And I think I led you astray because I think uh, I told you to skip a couple of sessions and we explored Philadelphia, as I recall. Yes, but, that, um, that is, um, that is accurate. <laughs> and I think that's, that's how our friendship was formed. And I look forward to many more years of uh, listening to your cat podcast and uh, seeing how you grow professionally. And it's been really fun. Absolutely. It was definitely love at first leopard print for sure. And um, I do remember that fondly. And I, I love that scarf. And now that scarf is even has more meaning because I met you while I was wearing it. And yeah, you've been such great. an important piece um, of my life and as a mentor and as a friend. So thank you for that. That was another jam packed conversation with lots of important information. Buckle up, there are a lot of resources linked in the episode notes. But key takeaways include never stop learning, keep your body moving, your mind engaged, spend time with friends, perform acts of service, don't be afraid to make a mistake, and have a sense of humor. All great reminders for leading a happy, healthy, self-care-filled life. As the fall progresses, we are not done with the COVID-19 pandemic, not by a long shot. In some ways, things are better, but we are still learning and figuring out how to navigate the uncertainty in many ways. So please, proceed with grace. You don't know what is going on in someone's world by looking at them. We are all making the best decisions with the information we have to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe. And yes, mental health is just as important as physical health. We have to stop perpetuating the idea that they are separate things. This was recently in the spotlight with Simone Biles at the Olympics. I am so proud to see professional athletes like Simone taking this stance and prioritizing their mental health. Also, if you want to learn more about trauma, trauma-sensitive education, building resilience, and how self-care plays a factor in that, be sure to check out my workshops and professional development offerings and fill out the request form if you'd like to see Dr. MC come to your school, organization, or business. Thanks for listening to this episode. Remember to subscribe and rate this podcast on your preferred player. The ratings help us grow and share the message of self-care. If you have comments, suggestions, or questions, please reach out directly by emailing podcast at drmcselfcare.com. That's drmcselfcare.com. Also, come join the cast party at Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. MC Self-Care. My website, drmcselfcare.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, and love me across all my social media platforms for the most up-to-date information on self-care. See you next time. Stay well and do good. <laughs>